Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. I am your host, Adam Homie, founder of Help My Website Sell and the Business Creators Institute. And you are in the right place, tuned into the Business Creators Radio Show, if you fall into one of the following four categories. Our listeners are business creators, and they consist of entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners, marketing and business coaches, folks who help others build their businesses, such as virtual assistants, web designers, marketing and business coaches, social media managers, media and publicity experts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anybody who helps others succeed at the game of marketing. And of course, do-it-yourselfers who run your own businesses. If you are one or more of the above, please be sure to explore our episodes and discover how our experts can help you win at business and marketing at businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes. Do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us spread the message and helps business creators do more for their own businesses and for their clients as well. So today, we are especially honored to have with us Diane Gardner, who is the entrepreneur's choice for your financial freedom. I've known Diane for a long time. I met her a year ago when I presented at Larry Weinstein's Smart Marketing for Accountants Summit. Diane is awesome. I've had a chance to study her work and I've had many conversations with her. So I know this is a topic that is very relevant to what's going on today, what's going on with healthcare and taxes. And so I figured now would be the, great, the greatest possible time to bring on somebody who understands tax planning. So today's episode, is called 10 Most Expensive Mistakes Entrepreneurs Make on Their Taxes. And one thing I want to really make sure that everybody on this call knows, right before we bring Diane on and we start going through and sharing the information with you, is there's a difference between paying your taxes and tax planning. Paying your taxes simply means that you send the check or go online and submit the dollar amount to where it needs to go at the right time, and you remain in compliance and hopefully avoid an audit. Tax planning is where you, Diana will explain this as well, uh, and she'll probably explain it better than I can, but it's the idea that you plan for your revenue stream. You plan for your taxes so that this falls into your overall business plan, and while remaining compliant, you save as much money as possible because after all, it's your money that you earned and you deserve the benefit from it. So again, just turn on the news and read your Facebook news feed and you'll get a healthy dose of fear and confusion about fiscal cliffs, defaults, Obamacare, and every other crisis of the week. As a business creator, you may be making some massive tax planning mistakes. As I explained the difference between paying your taxes and tax planning, the cost you profits and risk having your focus taken away from creating and marketing your business. So again, we're very glad to have Diane Gardner, the entrepreneur's choice for your financial freedom with us for this interview today. And just to tell you a little bit about Diane, she's an accountant who focuses on making sure her clients are not overpaying their income taxes by utilizing the power of proactive tax planning. Diane is an enrolled agent, which is a license that is granted by the IRS and allows her to prepare tax returns and represent clients in all 50 states. So if there's anybody you want to listen to on this topic, it's somebody who has a license granted by the IRS. She's also a certified tax coach, which means she's a member of an elite group of about 300 tax professionals who have received very specialized training in legal IRS-approved ways to help small business owners slash their tax bill. 
Diane is the author of a brand new book called The Pocket Guide to Obamacare, which is a short book that explains how the Affordable Care Act will affect individuals and small business owners, both in out-of-pocket costs and also on their tax returns. Uh, when we were talking about this episode on social media, when we were sharing it in our email, we found that people really latched on to the whole Obamacare issue and want to learn more about this. And this is very pertinent for business creators because if you don't have this stuff nailed down, your focus will be taken away from marketing, from educating, and you'll end up on the more time editing side of the spectrum, which is what we try and help you avoid. Her second book, which is called Stand Apart, is due to be released in January 2014. I'm looking forward to it myself. And it focuses on what makes different types of businesses stand apart from the competition. And Diane will share tips and tricks that make her accounting firm different from her peers. So when Stand Apart comes out, we're also going to learn more about how to really make your own accounting firm stand out in the market. We may have Diane back for another interview at that time, because I know a lot of our listeners are accountants, uh, CPAs, auditors, and other types of tax professionals. And then she has a third book coming out called Why Didn't My CPA Tell Me About That, which will be released in February 2014, which focuses on tax deductions that many small business owners are not aware of or have not implemented in their business. And then there's going to be a fourth book called Grow Your Business in the New Economy, which is scheduled to be released in the late spring of 2014. Uh, Diane, are you there? I'm here, Adam. I got to ask you one question. How the heck are you going to write all these books during tax season? Well, three of them have already been written, and one Good. of them is in the final edit stage. So I have worked yeah, my too. tail off this summer with writing, writing, writing. Great. I was, I was going to say, I mean, I'm, I'm reading through the bio here, and I read this one you submitted to us last week in preparation for the interview, and I wanted to read this off just to make the point of, holy cow, you are creating a lot of great content for business creators here. This is just amazing. And I'm wondering how you do it because I remember, uh, you know, last year you were one of the participants in my Make 2013 Your Year to Dominate online marketing course. And uh, the majority of the people in that course were accountants and tax planners. And I remember that in November and December when we did our training series, you were all there for that. And then uh, as soon as January rolled around and it was tax season again, everybody just kind of disappeared because it was tax season. So I just had to ask, how are you going to get all these books out during tax season? So the lesson I want to share with everybody listening is uh, always be working on the next step and the next step after the next step in marketing and growing your business. So if you want to release three tax books during tax season, you work in the accounting industry, you better have those written before December is the point here. So, Diane, uh, we are so happy to have you here today. Uh, this is a topic that has been very relevant to me and to so many others. So before we dive in, you know, let's take a quick step back and just give our listeners a chance to get to know you a bit. Tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today, helping entrepreneurs and business owners with proactive tax planning. Well, Adam, first of all, thanks so much for giving me the honor of being on your show. I really appreciate this opportunity to share with your listeners. Um, this is you a bet. topic that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I have been preparing tax returns for way too many years, probably, um, <laughs> but way, way, way too many. <laughs> Anyhow, over the years, I have seen business owners just getting gouged so badly on their tax returns, and they seem to not even realize it, or they just kind of go, oh, well, or I didn't know I could do anything about it. And I was dispensing my own form of tax advice, and I was doing lots of tax projections, 
but I found that my clients weren't taking me very seriously. It's like, okay, right. great, and then they would just keep moving right on to the next topic. And so I was getting very frustrated. And so I finally found a way that I could get my clients to start paying a little bit better attention and take things more seriously by putting together a nice proactive tax plan, which was impressive enough to them to get them to sit down and stop and listen. And then we also put together the implementation services so they won't really have to do very much in that whole process. We take care of it all for them. And now I'm able to save them a whole lot of money. They're happy. I'm happy. And we are making a dent in the tax bill as far as small business owners go. That's a very important point. Ten years ago, when I created my first corporation, there were three steps I took. The first step was that I had the, the company created, I had incorporated in the state of Nevada. The second step, of course, was getting a tax ID. And the third step was hiring an accountant who specializes in small business accounting. And he was highly recommended to me. The reason being is because he understands taxation when it comes to small businesses, uh, businesses with one to five employees or solopreneurial ventures. And he understands how you can structure your taxes when you're in that type of situation to get the maximum benefits from the laws as they stand. And we're not talking about doing crazy loopholes and writing off silly things and you know, doing borderline tactics. We're talking about strictly legitimate legal tactics that help you save more on taxes that they're not just going to tell you about. You have to do your research, you have to do your homework, and you have to find out. So what you do, Diane, is an enormous service. And unfortunately, I do see so many entrepreneurs that don't do this. Now, here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners tell me they have pretty much everything they need except for time and money. Now, do you see this as an issue for your clients and customers when it comes to the areas of tax planning and such? I do. I see this as a very common issue. And I'm going to have to confess that I myself was in that, that um, group of people not too long ago, just a couple years ago. Right. I was trapped in that mindset. If I just worked harder, if I just stayed more hours, if I just got one more tax return out the door, one more job, one more client – that I would be successful, I would have money, I'd have time, but I was just so busy working, I was that little rat on the wheel. So <laughs> I was able to start making some changes a couple of years ago. Um, right. First, I found the American Institute of Certified Tax Coaches. This was a professional group of um, an elite group of professionals who specialized in helping business owners pay the least amount of tax legally possible. Through that group, I got introduced to the E-Myth books by Michael Gerber. We started yep. reading that book, started implementing systems that had been previously just in my head, started implementing those systems in my, in my own office, um, started writing them down, documenting them, and then coming up with implementation plans. And by the creation of just systems in my own business, that's freed me up so now that I have both time and money, my staff does a better job because they know what's expected of them. Everyone does things the same way in our office. I'm happier. The office is a much nicer place to work. Yes, and it yes. Al- and it allows me to now take in t- the information that I've learned and the skills that I've learned and help my own clients implement them into their business. And then um, as a result of having more time, I'm now able to take more um, tax planning training classes and more continuing mm-hmm. education classes and attend conferences things like that that I couldn't have done before. 
And that has allowed me to get to the point where now when I create a, a um, proactive tax plan, the average tax savings for most of my clients is around $17,000 a year. And that really feels really nice when you can save somebody a chunk of money like that and, don't, and to see them not having to send that to the government. But instead, implementing it back into their business or paying for their daughter's wedding or taking the vacation of their dreams that they never could have taken before. $17,000, even with inflation as it is today, still goes a very long way. I mean, for many, many people, $17,000 is six months' worth of rent or even a year's worth of rent. It could be a new car. It could be uh, – I mean, there's so many things you can do with $17,000. So that may not seem like a huge number to some, but I know because I recently moved – all the way across the country. I know that $17,000 uh, can, you know, on the one hand, it can go pretty quick, but it can also really get you a lot of things that you need and to make your life a lot easier. And by telling us just a little bit about your business and some of the lessons you've learned in terms of leveraging it better and doing a better job for your clients, we also see just some of the impacts that having a plan, being organized, and doing things the right way from the start can have on your overall success and your overall productivity, regardless of who you are when you're listening to our episode today. So I got asked the very first important question here, and tell me in your own words. I think I covered a little bit in the intro, but you, of course, are the subject matter expert here, so as I, as I warn people, you'd be able to do it better than me. Why is it so important to have a tax plan? Well, Adam, planning is the key to beating the IRS legally. It really doesn't matter how good your accountant or your tax preparer is on April 15th when you bring in your stack of receipts, whether it's your bag or your box or your envelope. If you right. don't know that there was tax strategies such as a Section 105 plan that allows you to write off the cost of your kids' braces as a business expense, then you just lost that deduction. Or you didn't know you could write off your home office or you didn't know you could write off that vacation that you took because you structured it around a business um, source of some sort, those are just lost deductions forever. And so that's yes. the important part of having a plan is setting this stuff up ahead of time and not just winging it. Yeah, I think that's very important because, you know, we miss so many opportunities. I mean, one of the jokes you hear all the time is if you go out to dinner with a bunch of your friends, all you do is you have one of your friends say, how's business? And you say, business is great. And then you say, oh, write it up, business expenses. This is a business meal. We talked about business. Now, while that's a little bit of a cliche, it is very true that there are so many things we do that may seem like personal things, that may seem like, well, this is vacation or this has nothing to do with my business, but the fact that it has everything to do with your business and and there are laws and there are opportunities to help you do this. And I think that we get to the core of this when we look at the difference between tax projections and tax planning. So these are two different terms, tax projections and tax planning. So if you could you know, explain those to us, identify what those terms mean, and then show us what the difference is, because I think this really gets to the core of what we're talking about today. Okay. Tax projections are something that accountants like to prepare. Some of us do them on a regular basis, whether it's quarterly or semi-annual or even annually with some of our clients. Um, a projection will take into account maybe some changes in the tax law. We'll sit down with the client. We'll project what their income and their expenses are going to be through the end of the year. We just kind of help them be prepared to know this is how much tax you're going to have to pay. Or this right. is just kind of that basic thing where tax planning 
gives you the ability to take concepts and strategies so that you can minimize your tax without having to look at all these different spreadsheets that we love to create for you. Right. And it, it allows your accountant or your I, I like to call myself a tax strategist to scour through your business and your personal finances and look for things that we can turn into a business deduction, areas where you're already spending money. I like to sit down and ask questions so that I can help my clients make financial decisions that keep them from having unpleasant surprises down the road. And then we like right. to also be able to take advantage of every legal deduction, credit, and loophole that the law allows. My tax planning strategies are all court-tested and IRS-approved. There yes. two other really wonderful benefits with tax planning. First, it's the key to your financial defense. As a business owner, there's only two ways that you can put cash in your pocket. Financial offense is making more money, which some, we can do that, but that doesn't always guarantee we're going to have more profit. Or financial right. defense, which is spending less money. And if I can save somebody some money on their taxes, I can guarantee that they'll have a savings, whether they have more yes. profit or not. Right, right. Another thing I want to also ask you here is, and this is kind of related, I see so much advice out there, and I find this to be very sad that people still say this and that people still buy into it, is people will say to somebody who's just starting out in business, they'll say, well, you're actually just kind of small. There's really no need for you to create an entity or form a company or anything like that. Just be a sole proprietor. Now, I think that really that's kind of, you know, personally, you know, if you correct me if, I'm, if you think I'm wrong, I think that's some of the silliest and in some ways some of the most dangerous advice that somebody could give. I remember when I first had an inkling that I might want to be an entrepreneur, the very first thing was I created an entity to create a shell around what I was going to be doing with that business. I found that even with my very limited knowledge, I had an understanding of what that would do for tax benefits and also what that would do for legal protections. And I just could not possibly see that I would go into business without having an entity surrounding it. So first of all, tell me, am I, am I right or am I all wet? And second, if I were to choose which type of entity to use to create a shell around my business, which one would I pick? Well, Adam, that's a really good question, and it's not one that's got a very easy answer. Um, unfortunately, I, <laughs> I see the same thing. They pretty much just start out as a sole proprietor. They have no idea what entity type they should be. And probably the majority of the businesses that I work with are in an incorrect entity type for the type of business that they're in. Some businesses need the legal protection. Others don't feel the need for that. Some entity types will help you save self-employment tax. Other entity types allow you to write off employee benefits. So there's a whole checklist that we go through before we actually allow the client to even make that choice of what is the correct entity type. Because you want to look at it from all angles, not just the one where you're going to pay the least amount of tax, but the entity type right. that's going to work with you and grow with you as you grow your business whether it be an LLC, a corporation, or some sort of a partnership. Um, there's just so many different choices that I really can't say, Adam, the best type of entity is A, B, or C. It just, right. every, it's different with every business. In general, what do you think of my theory, though, that you really should have some sort of entity before you get started really in terms of 
growing your business. I mean, that's always been my personal belief. You should have some sort of protection. To your point, you have to figure out what works best for you, but should you have something? My own personal opinion would be that, yeah, you should have something, but most people right. don't have anything. So and that's very sad. wide open, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's, change, uh, let's change our direction here just ever so slightly here. And now I want to talk for a minute about the thing that we're ultimately all in business for, which is to have a successful lifestyle, to enjoy financial freedom, and to know that we're building for ourselves a great future. Now, when we talk about that, we're talking about retirement planning. Now, how do you make your way through the maze of choosing the right retirement plan to start paying into or start building? I think this is just as confusing of a question as the preceding one about the entity type because so many okay. people don't have a clue. They think I dropped my right. $5,000 in my IRA, I'm set. And there is so much more that they can do as a small business owner. But it's a very challenging decision because you have to weigh a lot of different options uh, because your choices, you, you might want to look at ASEP, which is a simplified employee pension. They're really easy to set up and administer. But can you put in enough money over the years? Maybe a simple right. IRA is better for you. It's another one that's very easy to set up and administer, but will it let you contribute as much? What about the amount you have to put in for your employees when you get to the point you have employees? Um, yeah. Also, we have choices in the 401k arena. We've got regular 401ks and we've got solo 401ks. Sometimes we find this vehicle works a little bit better as a business starts to grow because they can put a little bit more money into it through the safe harbor provisions and that type of thing. But this is not an easy decision to make and it's not one that should be made lightly because when you make the decision today, you want to give yourself enough room for growth over the next few years in your business and not have to be changing retirement types every year or two because you were short-sighted in your decision. Right. So this is, that's a really, right. really good area to, be talk, to spend time with, in, with your accountant in talking about this topic. Yeah, it seems like not so much out there is really all that easy. Now, waiting, wait, waiting through this stuff, early on will help you in the long run because you come at it with a better plan, you come at it with a better structure so you can maximize your savings, both in terms of saving on the amount of money you have to pay the government in taxes, but also savings in terms of your retirement plan. And there is a major upset that's going to be coming to a lot of this. In fact, it's already starting to take place and starting to implement. It's this little thing that you hear about every so often called Obamacare. So, let me just ask you point blank, because I know that when we were talking about this episode and we were sharing it on social media and we were emailing our list and we were letting people know about it and sharing it in other forms and such, the top question that people really latched on to is, what does Obamacare really mean for my small business? How does this affect me? I know that's an open question, but that's the one that comes up. How does Obamacare affect me? Well, Probably the best news I can give most small business owners is if you have less than 25 employees, you are basically exempt from Obamacare. And okay. most people are scared to death because I've got three or I've got five or I've got ten employees or something. Uh, probably one of the best things you can do is encourage your employees to go out to the exchange, 
go ahead and sign up for their health care at some point. They will be able to get through on the system. I don't know when, but right. they'll be able to. And then see how much they can qualify with federal subsidies. So they might be pleasantly surprised that the amount that they would be paying would be less than if you tried to put together a plan yourself and be in a small little business, you'll pay a lot more money for that plan. So that's probably the best news I can give you. On the flip okay. side, if you're an employee in one of those businesses and you do go out, or you as the business owner go out to the exchange and you want to start shopping for some insurance, be very careful on the numbers that you use for your estimated income. Little tidbit that most people aren't aware. When you put in your estimated numbers for your income, you, they're asking you to estimate next year's income. So you want to be as close on target as you possibly can be because if you have understated your income, you will receive more federal subsidies on your insurance coverage as you go throughout the year. But next year, a year from now, when it's time to file that 2014 tax return, if you have received too much in federal subsidies, you will be repaying that amount on your tax return. And that's something that I really haven't heard the media talking about too much, is the surprise people are going to have a year from now on their tax returns. And that's not going to be a fun tax season, and it's not one I'm looking forward to because of lack of education. So that would be my main right. affairs. Be careful. Right, right. I think a lot of people are, you know, trying to be very careful about things right now because there is so much hype about this. And, you know, we're talking about shutting down the government. We're talking about people going bankrupt over it. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about you know, doctors getting out of practice because they don't want to deal with it. And then on the other hand, I see many people in the medical profession who are saying, yeah, this has been coming for 20 years now, and this was pretty much inevitable the way that we were living on borrowed time up until now. I had somebody I spoke with about uh, the whole Obamacare thing who's able to explain it very articulately, and she showed me how actually the lesser of what could have been a much worse evil had this not happened. Now, that's just one person's point of view, and that's one side of the story. We don't know the whole side of the story, but the bottom line is those of us listening on the call today, I mean, we need to know, you know, what are we going to be able to do for our insurance? How is this going to affect our, our businesses? And I think that this is a very important thing that we need to understand is, is Obamacare really the end of America as we know it? Is it the end of the free enterprise system? Uh, or is this something that we need to accommodate? Is it going to be a major or a minor change? And I think you would probably tell me that it depends on the individual. Is that what you would tell me? Yeah, it depends on the individual. And if somebody is looking for some more information on that, if they go out to my website, www.adept.com, adeptbusiness.biz, B-I-Z, they can sign up and get a free copy of my Pocket Guide to Obamacare book, and I'll be happy to mail one to them. Absolutely. I, in fact, I have that book. Uh, thank you very much for sending it to me, and it's absolutely awesome. So thank you for sending that to me. Um, is it possible to deduct your health care costs through your business? Yes, it is, Adam. And with the Obamacare and all the scare and all that stuff out there, I think it's going to become even more important to take advantage of a tax deduction, such as deducting your health care costs through your business. It is done by utilizing a Section 105 plan. Those of us in the accounting field commonly call it a medical reimbursement plan. 
So if okay. your business qualifies, you can write off just about any legitimate medical expense, whether it's health insurance, long-term care coverage, Medicare, Medigap insurance, co-pays, deductibles, prescriptions, dental, vision, and even chiropractic care. You can deduct big right. items like braces for your kids' teeth, fertility treatments, LASIK surgery, and even some non-prescription medication and medical supplies are deductible if you can get your doctor to write a prescription for them. So MRF is okay. a wonderful way to take money that you would spend anyway, even whether you got a deduction or not, and move it from a non-deductible place on your tax return to a deductible place. It allows you to save income tax, and you might even be able to save some self-employment tax at the same time. That's very that's very interesting. I mean, I have all I, I have always for all the time I've been in business, I've had an individual plan. I've had my company pay for it, so I've been deducting that. And I'm a pretty healthy guy, so I don't see a doctor very often. I haven't been to the hospital. Um, I don't have a whole lot of prescriptions, so I, I haven't really had the opportunity, to, shall we say, to use my insurance all that much. But at the same time, everything that I've used it for, I've absolutely deducted because that's how you have to view it. Uh, I mean, you pointed out earlier, and if you're able to sort of let the cat's head peek out of the bag a little bit, you mentioned something very interesting earlier in the interview, that your child's braces can be considered a business expense. They definitely can, if you have the right structure and the right plan in place. Okay, does this have to do with entity planning or tax planning or both? It has a combination of both. Having the okay. correct entity, um, which is something that basically comes about by putting together your tax plan. And then um, if you qualify with your business, you can write off things such as your kids' braces. And most people okay. aren't aware that they can do that. Well, I think there's a lot of things that people aren't aware of, and this is why tax planning is so important. For example, I've heard it said many times that let's say if you have a house or you have a condo or you have an apartment and you want to hire somebody to clean it because you don't want to clean your place. And the cliche that I hear out there, and I know that in many cases it's true, it just depends on how you structure things, is that you don't need somebody to clean your house. Your house needs somebody to clean your house. And the logical next step to that is that you should have some sort of entity that owns your house rather than you own your house. And that's a way to gain additional tax benefits. Uh, perfectly legal, perfectly ethical. Uh, do you have anything to say on that point? Because I've heard that several times. Just make sure that you have it all well documented and you keep good records and you're able to substantiate your costs and those types of things so you don't get caught trying to explain it to an auditor at some point down the road and you have no records and you, you know, make the comment, well, so-and-so said I could do it, that doesn't work too well. So make it no, good no. planning, good documentation. I can only imagine that right now, being at the meeting with the IRS for your audit and so-and-so, and you tell them that so-and-so said you could do it, and the IRS agent saying, well, I said you can't do it. I could just see how that one goes. Yeah, that would make a nice Saturday Night Live um, event. They would have fun. Yeah, with that. I would. I would. I would say so. So, do you? Uh, what are? If you have any other common tax strategies that are commonly missed by small business owners, I think what we're really getting on today's interview is we're getting a lot of insights in terms of a lot of things that people miss, and giving them some, and letting them see that there are some things right in front of them in many cases that they're just not picking up on, and. 
some strategies that could be resulting in them paying a lot more in taxes than they really need to, which is money that could be used for your family. It could be used to get new equipment for your business. It could be used for more marketing to get you new clients. It could be used for educational programs to help you be better at what you do. So what are some of these other tax strategies that are missed so often that could be really helping entrepreneurs and business creators save money the right way? You know, one I've seen so much in the last, well, since 2009 especially, Adam, is there's been a lot of companies that have downsized the number of employees that they had, and that right. has created a whole new group of self-employed people who basically work from home because they right. haven't been able to go out and find a job, so they've gotten creative and they've come up with some sort of a business-type thing that they can do. Well, a lot of these people have been employees for their whole life. And so they don't realize that they can and should be deducting their home office expenses. Right. Home office qualifies as your place of business if you use it exclusively and regularly for administrative and management activities of your trade and business, or if you have no other fixed location where you conduct substantial administrative activities of your trade or business. So this is true even if you have another office, so long as you don't use it more than occasionally for administrative or management activities. And I can think of one client in particular of mine who this happened to, and he does go into the home office probably once a month or something for a meeting, but everything else he does is from home. So we have made sure that we have really maximized his home office deductions because it turns out to be a pretty substantial number in his place. Um, right. The Claiming a home office deduction lets you deduct the business use percentage of your mortgage interest or rent, your property taxes, utilities, repairs, insurance, garbage pickup, security, all these types of things. And then in addition to that, you can also depreciate part of the purchase price of your home. But one of the things that I like the best about this deduction is that it boosts your car and truck deductions because it eliminates the non-deductible commuting miles because you basically have no commuting miles, you work from home. And that's an area that people miss constantly, are the home office itself and then the fact that they are picking up additional mileage that they wouldn't get otherwise. Okay. That's something that a lot of people miss, and it's also kind of a debate. So what if, let's say somebody works out of the home, right, but they don't actually have a room considered an office how do you determine you know what is the home office like let's say they're using half the living room or let's say that they're using a corner of the bedroom I mean how do you determine what actually is the home office well the IRS does not like to see a bed in that home office and they really right. don't like to see your couch and TV in that home office so I right. really encourage my clients to the best of their ability to carve out a corner somewhere that and then to take a picture of it with their desk right. and their computer and everything all set up, you know, as a home office so that we have right. some proof that they definitely do have at least a section of that home that is their main office. Right. And so let's say, let's say that they have like an open plan apartment. You know how open plan apartments are where you have like a couple rooms off to the side, but most of it is just one giant room. Or they're the entrepreneur just starting out and they're living in an efficiency or a studio or something like that. So what you're saying is if they could take a corner of that or they could take a section of that and just, you know, sort of inferentially divide it from everything else, so you can clearly see here is a desk. 
Here is a filing cabinet. Here is a computer. Here is my certificate of achievement for. Here is my phone. So this is a place where business is conducted. There are no kids running around here. There's no uh, you know, video games or anything like that. So even if the rest of this giant room is my living room, this section is the office and take a picture of that. Does that suffice? That's what I have seen in the past. As long as we have a picture in the file, we've got you know some measurements that we've taken. You know, we've we've are coming up with our records. We're trying to make sure we've got good substantiation for the rationale behind why we're saying this 10 by 10 area is our office. Yeah, because I'm looking out in because uh, I'm in my new condo here out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. I just moved into the other day. And uh, I'm looking at, uh, I mean, I don't exactly have an open plan. There's actually three bedrooms in a place, and one of the bedrooms will probably be the office. But I'm just looking at, hypothetically, let's say that somebody was living in a place like this and all of the bedrooms were in use by people sleeping in them. And they also wanted to have a living room, but there's this nice little niche area of the main room that could be easily carved into an office. So you set a desk out, and then you set a filing cabinet off to the side of it, and it sort of squares off an area. So if we took a picture of that, we measured to show how big it was and then compare it to the square footage of the unit, that would, could be used to create the percentages and the deductions of things like utilities, maintenance, and rents like you described earlier. Right. Yep. That should, should sound like that would be a good enough re, you know, record keeping to satisfy um, for tax purposes. This is a big question I get asked a lot, which is why I wanted to spend a few minutes on it. And since we had you here, we figured we could hear this from an expert. Now, everybody listening, uh, you know, this, the Business Creators Radio Show is not, of course, an official tax planning resource. I do urge you to consult with an actual tax planner, such as Diane Gardner, to get the answers to this that apply to your business. I mean, this is just a conversation about things that could be. Everybody's own unique situation is different, so I just want to put that little disclaimer in there, that what you are hearing here overall is pretty solid business advice for a starting point for that conversation with your tax planner. Now, you, uh, mentioned, uh, now you mentioned a little bit about mileage. Uh, should a business owner use the standard mileage allowance, or should they actually track the expenses? Like they file a report and they say, well, I went to such and such meeting and I drove 4.2 miles. Then I went to lunch and I drove, drove 1.3 miles. Then I drove home and I was 6.8 miles. So, I mean, should they do that, or should they just say I get so many miles per day or so many miles per trip? How should they do that? Well, it's always best if you will keep track of the actual miles that you drive, and you must have a written mileage log. And I know everybody's okay. groaning at that point because <laughs> nobody wants to write down all those 2.2 and 6.8 and, you know, all those types of miles. But that is so crucially important. If you decide to take the standard mileage allowance for 2013, it's 56 and a half cents per mile. Without a written right. mileage log, that goes to zero really fast. And that can be a right. huge deduction for somebody. IRS has not released the 2014 rates yet. They're scheduled to come out in December, but I'm assuming it'll be somewhere close in that neighborhood. But something right. that people don't necessarily think about is how much does it really cost to operate your car? Every year, the American Automobile Association of AAA publishes a driving cost survey. In 2011, they found that small sedans like a Honda Civic cost 38.4 to 57.6. 57.6 cents per mile. A medium-sized sedan like a Toyota Camry costs 50.1 to 74.9 cents per mile. And a large right. sedan like a Chrysler 300 
costs 63.6 to 98.8 cents per mile. Listen to this one. SUVs like the Ford Explorer cost from 59.1 to 91 cents per mile. And the minivans even up at 54.0 to 64.2 cents per mile. And that's what their calculation was based on gas at $3.35 a gallon. Well, a lot of us drive cars that would be much, would be over the 56.5 cents per mile. So I always suggest to my clients they track their miles, they keep track of the actual repairs and fuel and stuff that they put in that vehicle, and their insurance and their licensing, those types of things that they buy new tires, all that stuff, and then we can do a comparison and see which method works the best for that particular person or that particular vehicle. Because you do need to track right. separate vehicles separately. You can't lump them all together into one group. Well, yeah, that yeah, that are that I uh, kind of already knew. And I think the way I understood it, tell me if my understanding is correct, is let's say you have three vehicles, it's probably best to declare one to be the business vehicle. Yes. Yes. One is just definitely to, just, your business. just to keep just to keep that clear. If you go out and you buy yourself a nice Toyota Camry or what have you, and that's just your business car. So anytime you're doing business travel, use that one. And you save the minivan for the family trips and the Corvette for the weekends. <laughs> right, Adam. You're tooling down all right. in your red Corvette, right? Pretty much, pretty much. Now all I have to do is stay all the casinos, and I'll get my Corvette sooner. That's right. Yep. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see signs. I see signs around Las Vegas all the time. I found this pretty interesting, but it does make a lot of sense. Um, I, I can't remember the exact verbiage because I haven't seen one lately, but when I was here a month ago searching for a place to live, I saw these all over the place. Basically, it, the, the billboards were thanking people for losing their money, and the point of that was is a primary source of revenue for the school system here in Nevada is from casino revenues and taxes that come from the casinos, so that when people lose money in the casinos, uh, that benefits the local educational system. So they say, thank you for losing your money. You helped the kid. Um, so as much as I want to help kids, I also want my Corvette, so I'm thinking I'm going to stay out of the casinos here as much as I, I can. But the point being is, and I kind of brought that up for a reason, is everything you've heard on this call so far, for everybody who's listening, whether you're listening live or you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, these are all legitimate court-tested and approved strategies for saving money on your taxes because I would never urge anybody to engage in gray area tactics or try and do any sort of tricks to beat the IRS because the worst thing that you want is to get in trouble for beating your taxes. Remember Al Capone who flouted the Volstead Act and was probably responsible for dozens of murders. What did they get him on ultimately? They got him on tax evasion. Tax evasion conspiracy is what it was. I mean, yeah. I mean, and and and, and he, he's not the only one. There have been so many racketeers who got brought down because they could never prove the murders, they could never prove the extortion, they could never prove the crime, they could never prove they were involved in gambling, prostitution, illegal alcohol, or whatever. But they could prove that they didn't file their taxes or they did not report accurate income numbers on their taxes and that's how they got them so <laughs> if there's one thing you don't want to do is you to put it very bluntly you don't want to screw the IRS and there's so many ways you can save money. and and the way I look at it is I, I'm a proud citizen in the United States of America and I like to think of myself as a productive and positive member of my local community wherever I'm living services cost money uh, the ability to live in a safe neighborhood costs money, 
So the ability to have a, you know, a safe road to drive on to get where you need to go when you're racking up these mileage deductions, that costs money. Uh, when you order things, uh, you order education, of course, you have them shipped to your home. You know, they, you know, you need the roads for that. You need the airways for that. And that all costs money. So I believe that you should pay your fair share in taxes. At the same time, I don't believe that you should pay more than you need to. And since you've gone through all the steps of creating a business and creating an entity, and you're doing so much as a business owner and a business creator to help the economy because your business expenses create jobs for others, there is no reason why you should not take advantage of every legitimate opportunity to save money because you can use that money to help other people in other ways. That's been, always been my personal philosophy. So. Going along with that, here's another thing that I see people uh, trying to figure out all the time. Remember earlier I made the joke about you know, you know, being out with your friends and one of your friends asked you, how business? And you respond, business is great. And then you say, oh, check it off, business expense, business meal, we talk business. Realistically, how can you deduct meals and entertainment on your tax return? Well, it's going to take a little bit more than house business. So the basic right. rule is you can deduct meals where you conduct a bona fide business discussion. So let's get a little okay. more in-depth than how's business, and let's actually talk a little bit about how maybe how we're marketing our business or sharing some ideas or doing some brainstorming or, ma or a mastermind session or something to that effect. But you okay. can write off meals and entertainment when you're meeting with clients, customers, patients, prospective clients, referral sources, business or professional colleagues, any of those type of people where you're furthering your business. I know that business owners are constantly promoting their business by meeting with others in a setting that includes a meal or some sort of an entertainment right. expense. Right. So we want to make sure that they deduct every meal where you legitimately advance your business. But Adam, did you realize that you don't even need a receipt for expenses if they're under $75? I see. I, I didn't know that. I, now I remember back in the day when I used to have a job and I worked in the community relations department and I did a fair amount of traveling. I remember the first couple times I traveled, I submitted expense reports and then finance came back to me and they said, well, we need the credit card receipts. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, either I didn't get them or I threw them away. And they said, well, if you don't get us those credit card receipts, we're not going to reimburse you because we can't because that's what the law says. So here I was calling restaurants, asking them if they could print out a copy of my credit card receipt and fax it to me. Right. Well, the IRS so is loose. I, la I, I later found out there were some changes or they, maybe that company just changed the way they did things where we didn't have to worry so much about those receipts anymore. But tell me more about this and how we can avoid having to come up with a documentation if it's less than $75 because right. most of the time a business lunch will be less than $75 unless you go to Ruth Chris. Right, right. Yeah, IRS has um, loosened up that law a few years ago, and now the ceiling is if it's under $75, you don't have to have the receipt, but you do still have to have records. You need to record the cost of the meal, the date okay. of the meal, the place where it took place, the business purpose of your discussion, and your business relationship with your guest. So you're not going to get okay. out of record keeping, but you, if you don't have the actual receipt, you'll still be okay. Now, before okay. I go any, I have another piece on that, but just a little FYI, when you are charging expenses and stuff on your credit card statement, please, please, please keep all those business receipts 
because I just came through an audit with a client where their credit card statements, all the expenses on them, were disallowed because they did not have any of their receipts. They were under the impression that the credit card statement was good enough. So anything where we could not go back and recreate a receipt and get it from the vendor, they um, had those expenses disallowed. So please keep your receipts. Don't think that you can shortcut and just keep the credit card statement. Um, IRS is playing hardball on that one, as well as some of the states are too. So. Right, 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 and, I, and I, can, I can imagine why. I mean, I every year when, I, when my accountant and I get together, I ship him a big box with all kinds of paperwork in it, and I take, like, all the receipts I have by category, and I put them in folders and things along those lines. And another thing that I do, and I, I implemented this about four or five years ago, and it's paid off very well for me, is I have a separate email address I use for financial transactions versus ones I use for communications. And I insist that everybody who does business with me do business with me through that address for financial stuff only. The reason being is I can collect those all in one inbox, and anytime I need a receipt on anything, I can just search it. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things, and some people have said, you know, that, you know, you're being a real pain in the butt about this. Why do, I have to even, why do I have to process your invoice at this one address, but then I communicate with you through another address? And what I say is, just think of that as the billing department. Right, yeah, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, yeah, it's like, it's like if you're dealing with your cell phone provider, they have a billing department, they have a customer service department, they have a tech support department. So, you know, I'm, you know, think of me as the customer service and think of paying the, the invoice as the billing department. That's how you do that. And they say, oh, well, okay, I guess I get that. <laughs> but that's that cool strategy I figured out a long time ago, just have a separate email address for it and just collect the emails and you will find that so much of your record keeping gets simplified that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's another type of entertaining expenses that so many people aren't even aware, and that's when they entertain at home. How many times have you had people over to your home? You've got the backyard barbecue or you've had the um, after hours come over for dessert or for dinner or whatever it might be, and it has a business reason for it. So More than a few. No yeah, there's no requirement that you have to eat out to get a business deduction. But you, here again, you need to have good records. So you want to take into account, you want to know how many people came to your event. If you had five or you had 20, ideally you have some receipts for things you've purchased, but a lot of times we go to the cupboard and just pull something out. We can take some flat fee per diem type numbers to determine the write-off for that event that you hosted at your home. So good records, right. who was there, what was the business purpose, the date, kind of those same information that you need on you know, just a regular business meal deduction. But this is one that people will look at me different times and go, wow, I have been missing out so much money over the years because we entertain all the time in a business setting. Right. Right. Very interesting observation. Now, uh, we have about uh, nine minutes left in our interview here, and I, you know, at the end I'm going to give you a, a couple minutes just to tell people about how you can help them. But uh, there's one really great question I want to ask that sort of brings everything together. We've been talking about Obamacare and deductions and all these other things. So just tell us in general, what does tax planning entail, just so people understand what they're doing here? Okay, generally, tax planning starts out with the client filling out a short questionnaire, 
and supplying two years of personal and business tax returns. With that, then a tax strategist such as myself is able to sit down and take a look at what is going on in this person's life, how are they spending their money, looking for areas where they're spending money already that we can turn it from a personal into a business expense, and getting a general idea of, of maybe the percentage of growth this business is experiencing and some of that type of stuff, looking to see how they've been paying their taxes in the past. Then what I like to do is I set up a, a short initial consultation, whether it's in person or over the phone, and just kind of give them a brief little synopsis of this is what some of the things I'm seeing on your tax return. And based on this, I think I can save you X amount of dollars and find out if, they have, if I have buy-in, if they want me to go ahead and go to the work of preparing a full-blown tax plan. Because a, a tax plan is an in-depth analysis of this taxpayer's current situation. And in that in-depth analysis, then we go through and we actually determine tax possible tax strategies that this client would benefit from. Once again, they're all court-tested and IRS-approved. I do not believe right. in going into any gray areas or evasion or anything like that. It's all the types of things that we've been talking about on this, on this show today. Then we follow that up with a second consultation, here again, either in person or, or over the phone, where then we can right. talk about the various tax strategies and let the client make some choices. It's like, oh, I like this one. I don't know if I could make that one really work in my life. But, you know, and they'll, they'll usually pick two or three things that they really like. And then from that point, then we determine how, they're, how it's going to get implemented. Some things the client will jump right up and say, hey, I can do this and this. Ooh, but I'm not sure how to do that. And so depending on where they're at, we can help them with the implementation to make sure that it actually happens, as opposed to at the beginning when I talked about giving just casual tax advice, and 99.9% .9 of the time it never happened. So we want to make sure that it gets fully implemented so they take advantage of their tax savings on their, their um, as late as this current tax year. There's still time for this year or moving on into next year. Right, right, right. So what we've heard here is just a pretty good rundown of the process for how tax planning works. So when you are, as a listener, you're going out and you're getting started with your tax planning or you're evaluating the process you have right now, these are some things you kind of want to make sure you have in place. So before we wrap up here, Diane, is there anything else that our listeners need to know about this whole Obamacare thing. I know you covered it pretty well uh, about midway through our interview here. Is there anything else you'd like to add on that? Because I know that people are on the edge of their seats wanting to know how to survive Obamacare, how to thrive in Obamacare, how to not get pushed off the edge in Obamacare, however they want to phrase it. Well, first thing I would do is say hop on my website and request a copy of my free book because I think they'll get right. a lot of their questions answered there. It's broke up into a section on individuals and a section on small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and large businesses. So you don't have to read the whole book. Just grab the section that pertains to you. And I think you'll get a lot of the questions answered there. Um, you'll, get, you'll, you'll find the ability to make the decision, do I have to go on the insurance exchange or not? How much are the penalties going to be? Because they do start fairly low for 2014, and they climbed right. really fast through 2016. They started about $95, and by 2016, they're up to about $695. So they add up really okay. fast. 
But one thing as of right now is Congress has not given IRS the ability to be able to collect those penalties. So it's kind of an ironic situation is that they're going to charge you penalty, but they can't collect it. So at this point, the only way they can collect that penalty is if you have a refund on your tax return and they'll suck it out of your refund. So we're going to be doing some tax projections and planning with our clients to minimize some of these refunds that clients have had over the years if they choose not to go on the exchange and they, they'll just opt to pay the penalty. Because there is no okay. law that says you have to go on the exchange. But if you don't go on the exchange, you will pay a penalty. So just becoming a little more educated, become aware, and spend some time talking to your accountant about it, finding out how it's going to affect you. Those kind of things are, are a must because there's so much hype out there and the stuff that I'm hearing, so much of it is, is distorted from one party or the other. And we're trying to make sure that we're giving clear, unbiased information that just says this is the effect it's going to have in your pocketbook and on your tax return. Yeah, pretty sound advice right there. Because if you watch the news or even if you pay attention to your Facebook news feed, so much of that stuff is sensationalized. You look at the studies that show that anywhere from 70 to 80% of all news that's put out there by news organizations has a negative slant to it. It's meant to get people fired up and get them angry and get them feeling hurt because that's what drives ratings that, you know, hit them in the pocketbook, hit them in the hard strings, what have you, because that's what drives ratings. That's why you hear so much about Walmart and, you know, their policies with, you know, with regard to their employees and how much they pay people and what they do to, local businesses and stuff like that, but you never hear the side about the millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars that Walmart gives to charity and all the things they do for the communities that they move into because all that good stuff just doesn't sell. So you have to bear that in mind whenever you're reading some news report or some Facebook news feed item on, you know, posted even by one of your friends about what does Obamacare really mean? You need to ask yourself, is this person a tax professional? Do they understand the law? Do they really know what's going on or are they just trying to fire people up for a few points? Uh, what is their agenda? These are things you need to know, which is why you need to sit down with a, a tax planning professional and do your proactive tax planning so that you truly have a grip on what's going on with Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, or whatever it is that, you know, you call it in your daily lexicon. I'm just thinking of those uh, interviews they did on the street where they asked people, do you want Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act? And people actually thought that was a choice. You know, Adam, something that's scary is there are some accountants out there who haven't really clicked into the fact how this is going to affect their clients, and they're kind of just burying their heads in the sand about it. I was visiting right. with one a couple weeks ago, and he goes, well, why did, you, why did you go to the trouble of writing that book? You know, why is that? And I tried to explain to him how this is affecting people's pocketbooks. It's affecting right. their tax returns. And how I wanted to make sure my clients were educated and making sure that they could make the best decision possible based on some information that I could give them other than what was coming off of TV or social media or Internet or wherever they were getting it, from the barbershop or the grocery store or wherever. I wanted them to be able to make good, solid, sound decisions. So just, I was surprised at, at some of the accountants that are just kind of burying their heads in the sand. So find an accountant who's really up on this information and who can share good, solid information with you. Yes, yes. And we're right at the top of the hour here. So Diane Gardner, I want to thank you so much 
for being with us on our show today. This has been an education, believe me. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Adam, for having me. You bet. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie. I'm host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our website, businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and check out our podcast on iTunes. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Have a great day. Take care.